Hello and welcome to the 250, the podcast where we do a perfect BJ Novak impression by sitting in the corner nervously and speaking as little as humanly possible. I'm Jonathan and with me as always is my co-host Douglas. How are you, Douglas? <laughs> I'm doing good. I gotta get- I I need to make it a thing where I don't read what the podcast where <laughs> we is and like until I hear it or and or read it for the first time because this is creating a very good experience. I've got- me. I have- what, four years of experience of doing this? I feel like I'm getting okay at it. If this exactly. is your first time yeah. tuning into the 250, I'll bet that preamble was so fun to listen to. Uh, we've taken a snapshot of IMDb's top 250 <laughs> movies of all time as of January 2020, and we've been watching them from number 250 through to number one. In this podcast, we discuss our opinions, our thoughts, and our reactions to the movies within. Today's movie number 85 is Inglorious Bastards. In Nazi-occupied France, Joseph Goebbels has selected a small theatre to show the entire Nazi party his new propaganda film. Catching wind of this information, the theatre's owner, a Jewish refugee, and a crack team of American Nazi hunters set their sights on an opportunity to finish the Second World War early. Inglorious Bastards was directed and written by Quentin Tarantino, who's known for Pulp Fiction. We're going to have him next week. For Reservoir Dogs, and we've previously had him for- Yeah, back to back. Yeah. Crazy. Kill Bill a couple of years ago. I just made- Was l- it really? Yeah, it was ages ago. Yonks oh my ago. God. That's scary. <laughs> oh, fuck. I don't think it was last year. I think it was the year before. Uh, I Man. think we've both seen this. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen this film many, 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 yeah. many times. I've seen it a couple of times. Yeah. Kill Bill I've was seen- 177. I think I've seen all of- Tarantino's filmography. Yeah. yeah. I thought that too, but he has a, a lot of films. So. I, uh, not like I've seen all of his stuff, Reservoir Dogs onward, I'm pretty sure. Oh, okay. Cool. I have not. So, but yeah. I've seen most of them. Mm. Mm. It's definitely one of those ones where you first get like. It's like the which way modern man meme. Like it's like the film bro <laughs> thing is like you go through and like watch all the. Anyway, Douglas. What's your first impressions, feelings about this film? When's the last time you saw it? You said you watched it a bunch of times, but have you seen it? Yeah, a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. I would- Oh, actually, no. More like seven years ago, I reckon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, seven, eight years ago. It's been a while. And not going to lie, pretty nervous. I was pretty nervous about <laughs> watching this because it's Tarantino. It's really high up there. It's gone even higher than at- time of recording in 2023 it's sitting at around the 60 in uh wow. IMDb's top 250 films of all time so and it's number 80 i believe in letterbox number 87 in letterbox top 250 more okay. letterbox at the end of the podcast so with all of that hype behind it and me having relatively good memories for a lot of the scenes and a lot of the uh, the film i was like fuck i really hope this doesn't suck <laughs> But it was a really good time. I think watching it analytically, you really can get a lot of really fun stuff out of it as well. Mm. I think there's... It's a... Fuck, I hate being this person. But it's a very cinema film. Like, the whole film is movies, really. Yeah. And just how much Tarantino loves making movies, talking about movies, referencing movies. He is just having a ball. With both this script, this time period, this hyper-realistic time period where fantasy and reality fuse, so you can't really differentiate what's what. 
And ultimately, it's still so entertaining. It's just, yeah, very well crafted. And I mean, like, Christopher Waltz, man, like, he's just so fucking charismatic as Colonel Hans Lander. Mm. And I pinpointed it. The thing that makes him such a scary villain is his friendliness, funny, funnily enough, is that charisma, that undying, unwavering ability to, you know, smile and wave, that kind of <laughs> mentality that he approaches everyone with, and his perfectionism, which I think, if you wanted to, you could also make a direct comparison to Tarantino in that light of perfectionism and just wanting to be good at your job and just be the very best that you possibly can be at your job, which is, in this case, uh, not the, you know, most humane of jobs, but for uh, Hans Lander at the very least, but it's still a job that the character just is like, I want to I wanna be the best of the best. If I'm doing a job, I'm doing it right. I'm doing it with everything I got. So, yeah, overall, loved it. Just as much as I did the last time I watched it, which is probably, yeah, about seven or eight years ago. Yeah. If not, even more so, now that I've realized a couple of more of those little nuances and little bits and bobs, having done the podcast for as long as we have now and experiencing more cinema that I think Tarantino might have been influenced by. There were a couple of moments where I was able to pocket a couple of very definite references. But yeah, sorry. That was very long wouldn't No, it? that's good. Thank you, Douglas. Um, what, about, what about you, Jonathan? <laughs> yeah, I think the two roles that really take the cake for me were Christoph Waltz and Melanie Laurent as Shoshana. Uh, mm. They both get like the lion's share of serious stuff because it is pretty funny how a lot of it is quite silly. Basically, everything yeah. that happens with the titular Inglorious Bastards besides one scene, the basement scene, is pretty silly. You know, it's- Yeah. It's- Or- or Over- or, or Over actiony, top, you know, very, like- Yeah. Gratuitous. It, exactly. It's more like- you know, immature entertainment, pure entertainment, as it were, as opposed to- Yeah. Bombastic. These, yeah, these just incredible, like, tense thriller scenes with some extremely beefy acting. Uh, you get it with- And then the most hellishly absurd payout, uh, payoff bit as well, with oh, in God. the form of, usually, gratuitous amounts of violence mm. and uh, to the point where it's, yeah, it's almost laughable how mm. uh, just- stupidly violent there's a yeah. one one bit in particular that is just absurdly the i think i know what you're talking about i genuinely hope we're talking about the same bit did but. we complain about fan service as like a concept on the podcast or were we just doing it in a we were talking no about, i feel like we have about i think we've talked Freddy's. about that before mm, that's right we're talking yeah. about how some people were saying uh audience Pardon us if you heard this in the last episode, but we were saying how some people were really praising the film for its fan service. And I was like, you, this just like seems what it what it feels like to me. Like th th this is a real detour, but like that kind of idea of people legitimately being into something for fan service. It feels the same as like sports people, but at least sports people are like, I am a fan of this sports person 
and I get excited when, you know, they get their moment, you know? Whereas mm. anyone who's like, oh, my God, William Afton had the William Afton moment. And I'm like, that is a man who is, like, eight pixels tall <laughs> and is purple. Whoa, was that the- was that the bite of 87? Anyway, um, this film sort of has, like, you know, fan service in a way where you're like, you are just itching for, in particular, two things to sort of, like, pan out. And when they do, it's it's very gratuitous. Not Not gratuitous as in, like, violent or whatever, but just, like, here's exactly the thing you wanted. Here you go. And, like, yeah. just the most complete- mm release of tension you could possibly have uh mm. which i just don't feel like we've seen in any other films like on the list i don't think yeah like, quite yeah. to this level and not in not in the form of even kill bill kill bill was a pretty tense film all the way through interspersed with homages to your your kung fu flicks of the 70s and 80s so and the big it, satisfying it moments have, in that were yeah. were sort of maybe treated with like a level of seriousness or mm. um it was more adult it's There's more still it's an, just, yeah it's just normal it's not like yeah. an avengers type thing where they're like yeah they they got him they got <laughs> him you know Fuck yes. But when it's the Nazis, mm. you can totally- You have to feel totally good about it. <laughs> it's- Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not necessarily a hard villain to hate. That's for sure. In no. The, in the grand scheme of history. And I think I was under the the pretense that this film was- You could make a comparison of this film to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in how Tarantino <laughs> wants to rewrite history. But I think that that's a bit of a incorrect take. Now, the more that I think about it, having watched this, I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, absolutely. It's Tarantino, I think, fantasizing about what if. But in this case, I think it's more so about uh, what if it was cinema that was fighting the Nazis instead of, like... That's very self-indulgent, but it is Quentin Tarantino. Uh, That's Tarantino. He fucking- he gets- he goes so- the amount of references that there are within this film, he wets himself on cinema. He's just that Operation Kino, are you kidding me? (laughs) It's- it's all cinema. It's all film. So, Mm. agreed. Very self-indulgent, but in a way that never comes off as pretentious, you know? I never- I never was going, like, rolling my eyes, like, oh, fucking Tarantino, get over yourself. Like, it was always- even the references themselves, which I'll uh, talk about in spoiler time, were oddly nuanced. There were- it, it felt- I like a reference or a, uh, oh fuck, there's, there is a term for it. It's like inter, intertextuality or something like that. It's yeah, where yeah, yeah. the but. director is referencing another form of media. I like it when directors do that and it feels more like it's in conversation with the thing that it's referencing as opposed to, hey, here's this thing I really like. I'm just going to do it one to one. Uh, a la, uh, some stuff that happens in Black Swan in comparison to uh, Perfect Blue. I'm like, mm. <laughs> it's you're, come on, Aronofsky, babe, it's right there. <laughs> um, 
But yes, it's just so much fun. This film. <laughs> well, this you can get away fun. with these tongue-in-cheek references that would normally be pretentious by just yeah. making it a bit silly. You know, totally. If you play into it, then yeah, yeah, it rounds out. Brief, very quick. This was my thought that I had prior to oh, yeah. starting the podcast, and I want to quickly ask it. Uh, right towards the start of the film, uh, there's an Ennio Morricone track that has the piano. Uh, but instead it goes into like a guitar thing. Hmm. What the fuck is that classical song? What is it called? Uh, Doppelo No, but like, what's that piano? Oh, I don't know. What song is that from? Because it's from like I've learned it on piano. I just don't know what the fuck the song is. I know, like, I know the whole song, like, melody-wise, it's right there in my head, but I just, I cannot remember what the name of the song is, and it was the you first really one I wrote I down, for you. and I underlined it, like, 15 times, because I was so pissed off by it. <laughs> I got but, nothing. Uh, yeah, I guess you got nothing for me. Great. Cool. Got it. Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I guess, you know, uh, delve into the annals of trivia history. <laughs> Leia Sado, did you catch her? Oh no, this oh. is all right. Welcome. No, I already had the list. The I already had the. I already had the credits up. Welcome back to the two five zero, where Jonathan cannot uh, assign I, a name to a. Are we re- are we referencing there. Spectre and No Time to Die? What else? Yeah, you yeah, just. Oh, I remember it, it, nothing about those movies. I have no idea who this woman is. Oh, okay, cool. I don't know. <laughs> I just thought it was cool seeing her in, in this. Wait, I was like, what, wow, it's like. What does she play? Because the film is very thin on the ground with female characters. She's one. Yeah. Um, she's one of the daughters at the, the very daughters. start oh. of the, yeah, yeah, um, the Lapadite, uh, household. Yeah. Right. No. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Which is wild. Seeing her in that. I was like, whoa, this is like Leia Sado before she's Leia Sado. So. She. Yeah. Cool. Oh, she's in Grand Budapest as well. Yeah. Uh, she's also not high on the list on this one either. This is not helpful. No. No. No idea. Uh, Mike wow. Myers. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, did you, did you catch him, Douglas? Wait, who, sorry? Mike Myers, the what? comedian. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, I got a good one. Yeah, yeah, Where? Go. He was Where? the general. He was the British general who was with- um. Oh my God, that's Mike Myers underneath all it's that? It's so good. It's so, so Are good. Are you serious? Did not oh catch him at God. all the first time, the first film. Uh, this but, is uh, a 250 first. Douglas not catching the uh, one of the hidden cameos. Oh my god! It is not Whoa. a first. I have definitely done this before. It just happens less frequently. Oh. <laughs> How dare you, for starters? <laughs> Slander my name. Mm. Also, um, wow, uh, Sylvester That's Groth, incredible. really good face match for Joseph Goebbels. Yeah, yeah, fantastic face match. Probably not something um, you want to be putting on your resume, but uh, absolutely rough one to put pick. on the resume, but still, nonetheless. Uh, also, the uh, Martin Woodkey, also a fantastic uh, face match for Hitler, which once again, you know, rough one to put on the resume, but <laughs> say lovey. Someone's got to, someone's got to be him. Um, Absolutely, Daniel Brühl. Very convincing Hitler. We haven't seen him since Daniel Brühl. No, we have seen him since Rush. What have we seen him in since Rush? Oh, have we? I feel like we have. He was in. That's right. He's in Burnt. I forgot about that. Ah, so he is. Um, 
Maybe we no, seen I it. think it was. Yeah, no, we haven't seen him. It was Rush, where we last saw him on, um, yeah. as far as the list goes. Yeah. Played like a really solid role here as well. Like. Yeah, fantastic. Very Daniel Brühl. Y- y- you know, it'd be nice if films didn't have creepy, self entitled. Yeah. White men. Characters, but if you gotta be one. Daniel Brühl did hit the nail on the head. Daniel Brühl is kind of, he's sort of like that in Rush as well, which makes me wonder if he's like yes. that in real life. <laughs> I hope not. I think I've I seen an not. interview of him when he was he was doing some stuff. For, he's in Loki as well, like the the TV right. show Loki. He's he's in that because he reprises the character he was playing in spoilers. He was reprising the character they played in Civil War. Civil War, yeah. In Loki, um, and. Yeah, he gets to, like, flesh out that character a little bit more, and he has a good time with that. And I remembered watching an interview of him talking about that character, and he seemed like he was chill enough, but mm. fe- you could never truly tell. <laughs> <laughs> and I think my, I guess When we'll I saw say that I'll... big, the Weinstein company right at the top of the thing, I it's went, so funny. oh, it's another so one, funny. baby! <laughs> uh, and I think probably, unless you got, got another good one- They got little mitts on everything. Unless you got another good one, probably our last- um, Actor call out Diane Kruger as v- uh, Bridget Van Hammersmart, I think is what it was. Smart, smart. Hammersmark. Mark. Hammersmark. Yep. Close. Uh, yep. She does play a National pretty- motherfucking treasure, dude. <laughs> she plays a pretty fun character. She's She she only yeah. has a couple of scenes and she's like very under pressure. But um, she goes in a, a very- She goes in a very Quentin Tarantino way. Yeah. I think the man knows that he's known for dropping end bombs and showing feet in his movies, and I think that is kind of this, his bit. At this point, I guess he's just leaning into it. Yeah, I mean, hey, like it's the same thing of the you know uh, your enemies making names for you in this film, like you know the Jew Hunter and the Bear Jew and everything. Like, gets to a point where you got to lean into it. You know, you just gotta, you gotta. Assimilate gotta, the title. You gotta be the foot guy. Exactly. You gotta be. Yeah. You gotta be that foot guy. Yeah. Well, who, Douglas, I, who else is gonna be? If not gonna, Tarantino, they someone's who? gonna take out the mantle. It's his cross to bear. Uh, mine was Michael Fassbender. I completely forgotten that he was in this film until his dumb ass came up like midway through the film and he started doing his fantastically British accent, and then I went. You're in this movie. Especially, I'll talk about it at the very end of the podcast, but I watched a movie that had Michael Fassbender in it, and I got whiplash from watching him in the film that I watched to him in this film. Two very different characters. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Nice. I'm keen. I feel like I haven't seen him in heaps of stuff. Um, Yeah, you would Yeah, he plays Magneto. He plays young Magneto. in all the the X-Men stuff. Yeah. Uh, He was in 12 Years a Slave. Oh. That's uh, where we last saw him for two That was a that was, was in, a while ago. That was a while ago. Uh he was in Prometheus as well? No. I actually haven't seen anything no. alien related. Oh, you haven't seen Prometheus? Oh man, no. we should have done that for Halloween. That would have been mad. Well, I haven't seen um, Alien, so I feel like it would have been One of one of my favourite Michael Fassbenders, which I if I can rope you into it, I still would like to get your opinion on it. Uh even though you might turn your nose up at it, but 2015's Macbeth, directed by Justin Kurzel, um, who is an Aussie director. It's an adaptation of Macbeth. Um, which I was about to say, I... I was about to be like, I was about to be all funny and be like, Douglas, I don't hate Shaky Bill, but I kind of do, but I'll watch it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think what 
Justin Kozel does with Macbeth for mm. that particular film is quite cool. So I would like to, yeah, I would like to get your opinion on it, especially yeah, cool. as someone who like, you know, you're not a Billy Shakespeare kind of guy. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's what I know him for predominantly. Sweet. I'm into it. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. Cool guy. This, this looks um, well produced and pretty. Yes. Yes. It's fantastically pretty. One thing I wanted to point out, when's the last time we had, like, a film that was so multilingual as this film? I did notice that. Um, Especially marketed towards, like, a Western audience as well. It, like, Tarantino really, like, one of the best uh, chapters of the whole film is basically entirely in German. Mm. Like, so cool to just go all in and go, they speak German and they speak French and they speak <laughs> Italian sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. And, to just, and for some parts as well, to just be like, fuck you, you don't get a translation. Like, you just, you're in the dark. If you don't know yeah. the language, then fuck Stuff you. Where, spots where it, like, makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah. The character really that you have cool. been put into the perspective of does not understand this language, so- Yes. So they don't, yeah, yeah. So cool. Such a cool concept from a, just, uh, I don't know. Uh, Western cinema uh, <laughs> standpoint. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, but it's cool. I like it. <laughs> cool. I don't know. We, I feel like we have pretty few, yeah, Western cinema where they do it at all, really, except mm. in like passing where it sort of makes sense too. But but not nice as like. Double down so hard as this film mm. does, where it's I I would say a good two thirds of the film is in a language that is not yeah, English. Like most of the movie, but it is still I would say um, meant targeted. It's, tar- yeah, it's targeting a, a Western audience, yeah. A Western audience, yeah, yeah. Um, very cool, very very cool. Yeah, none are coming love to mind. French, love hearing German. Love those two languages. They sound cool. I'm skimming and I'm getting. Let me tell you, not very much, which not is cool. Not a lot. Not a That's lot. Pretty cool. On Sundays, technically. Yeah, but to also a technically yeah, not. Yeah. Like that is a Canadian mm. production, but it's by. Yes, that's a Middle right. Eastern I person. Remember, remember having that debate? Yeah. Mm. Um. I mean, the On Sunday's episode, cool movie. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, a bad lot. time, but it's a cool movie. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, Douglas, we've gabbed on for a bit. Oh, my God. It's been 27 minutes. Holy shit. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, I haven't even touched my notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, I've done the first three of these bad boys. I've still got the rest of the page to go. Uh, Jonathan, since I've been speaking for, I feel like, a very long time, which you recommend... 2009's Inglorious Bastards. Yes, I think so. I think um, Ooh, you think so. The the critiques that people have about Quentin Tarantino are valid, but if you just look at especially the the real highlight scenes, the real highlight mm. thriller scenes, just sort of plucked from their context, you're like, this is fucking great. This is a bunch of incredible actors doing these fucking heart pounding things and doing like the physical acting required for a very convincing mm. tense role. Mm. Christopher Waltz knocks it out of the park. Uh, so does Melanie 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 Laurent. 
I don't know how to pronounce that. Is that your uh, Brad Pitt? Yes. Um, damn. No, it's good. And it's, you know, set dressing is incredible. Uh, the classic goofy cowboy music. A lot of Ennio Morricone in the uh, Goofy score. cowboy music. Dude, you're going to love the fucking good, the bad, the ugly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's just going to be goofy as hell. <laughs> but then, like, breaks it where it's sort of fun to do so in this film as well. Like, goes off and does something else. It's cool. Mm. It's nifty. I mm. like it. Yeah, it's a little bit of Bowie in there as well, right? Uh, I think so. That sounds yes, about right. Yes, in the intro to the final chapter, um, mm. there's, uh, what is it? Uh, cat people putting out fire. David Bowie. 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 Yep. Yeah. Pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> we both nailed exactly that. No, no, go uh, for it. What do you, oh, <laughs> how about you, Douglas? I would also recommend Glorious Passes. Uh, I think it's one of Tarantino's biggest highlights out of all of his filmography it's the one that i will always come back to very very happily there's a couple of ones where i'm like eh, well yeah i could i could rewatch, you know fucking once upon a time in hollywood which i would gladly do but i'm always in the mood for inglorious bastards you know what i mean there's yeah. there's never not a time where i'm like ah oh, man inglorious bastards i don't want to watch that it's always like yeah absolutely let's watch inglorious bastards because <laughs> it's just such a fun time and for two and a half hours as well it really keeps itself together you know what i mean story-wise yeah. it it i didn't really realize how i think at the time when i was watching it first i didn't realize how effortlessly tarantino manages to hold this fucking script together <laughs> it's quite impressive yeah because it does kind of like ping pong around a fair bit, but it all makes sense within the grand yeah, exactly. scheme of things. There, there doesn't feel like there's like much of a lull in the film. Mm. Like there's sometimes this something this long. You, you could obviously say we've got these big tense scenes, but like, what is it? The first two of them are like more than twenty minutes long each, and it almost it's made basically me think a about short like, film. Yeah, exactly. It almost made me think like, how cool would it be if? You had a film where it was sort of just like six or eight vignettes like that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Amoris, no, not Amoris Paris. Um, fuck, what's the one, the other, uh, Wild Tales, the Spanish film that you fucking, it was in your top three for that year, I think. Yeah, it was, that is a very fun film. Not quite the same thing, but, um, but yeah, very much like just, like, uh, you'd have it as a, I mean, like as a complete story, you know, but like. Yeah, not necessarily anthological, but. Because, yeah, the, I mean, the film has, like, four or five very extended tense scenes like that. And mm. they're, I think they're just fun because how stripped down they are. They're, like, two yeah. or three characters. And I like how they make that continue to be visually interesting as well. Like, 20 minutes inside a Polish farm, Polish farmer's house, I think it's Poland, farmer's house. With, like, not heaps going on. You know, the camera's not wandering around very much. You're sort of just focusing on these two characters, for example. And still, like, I, I actually have some stuff to talk about that, uh, which I'm excited to do, Douglas. It's not a spoiler, but we should get moving to the spoilers. We should. Uh, content warnings. There is very gory, like, like... <laughs> Scalping of, is a thing yeah, that is... Yeah, one of the gorier <laughs> ones we've had in the entire list, I think. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, yeah, there's, like, 
multiple scalped corpses. There's people getting swastikas, like, cut into their foreheads. And there's one scene that, like, does not let up. It just shows the whole thing. And it is a pretty fucking convincing prosthetic. <laughs> there is um, a scene of a female character getting, like, brutalized and choked to death. That is, like... It's you know, it fun. sort of makes sense, but I really sort of didn't love that. Um, there's the rest of the the violence is either pretty standard like action stuff, or it's even like played for laughs. And I will give it props: the violence is largely very brief, like very um, it's spontaneous. I, yeah, yeah. There is um, people trapped in a burning building. Which is not like played for the same horror as something like Come and See, but mm. it could comfortably be a content warning for some people. So, um, and you know, Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <clears throat> Nazis and the horrors of World War Two. Nothing like no. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to get that a condition. That's it's Nazis you, and the horrors of World War Two. You know what you're in for. Um, let's get that, uh, spoiler. You only need to click it in like I did, and the installation is complete. The design is very human. Moreover, it also has a snap-on design. Thank you, Douglas, for that lovely clipperoonie. Uh, <laughs> clipperoonie? Whatever. Um, clipperoonie? Yeah, this you said is- it. Once you can't a- take it back. This is not a spoiler, but- And I'm not even certain this is intentional. But something I really picked up on this time was mm-hmm. when they're in the farmhouse, mm-hmm. there's, I don't know if it's intense bokeh or if it's an intentional effect. I don't think it's an intentional effect because it wouldn't really make sense. But the backdrop looks like an oil painting, like out of focus behind them. It's mm. bizarre. It's mm. I, I, like the, the same, like, because the walls are all plaster. So, they're all um, or like, I don't know, mud or clay or something, you know. So, they've got these like, yeah. right, like ripply sort of looks that almost looks like a paint stroke. And then yeah, the everything through the windows. Quality. Like, I don't know what it would be saying. If it was an intentional move, and I might have- Yeah, maybe, but it's the kind of thing where- You're like, that makes- that's that's too good to to just be a bit. Yeah, yeah. And once again, I could just be imagining it, but I I did really like that. uh, Mm. If it was intentional, I thought it was great. (laughs) It's- Inglorious Buses is such a masterclass in how to capture an audience's attention in the span of- 10 to 15 minutes, you know, because it sets up Hans Lander perfectly, sets up Shoshana, but also not to the point where you get the payoff for her directly, you know, you kind of have to let her cook for a little bit and you've got to go to the bastards for a little bit. Mm. Yeah, it's it's fucking fantastic storytelling. Mm. Yeah, yeah, Shoshana's like a great character and mm. she has... You know, she she has a lot of autonomy in the story. Mm. She's going like she's a survivor, and she she basically like 
I think she thought it was a suicide mission from the beginning, the the theater. Yeah. Like, she was like, we're going to aim to get out, but if it doesn't happen, Probably then- won't. Yeah. 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 And it is that, still that like that kiss between her and Manuel at the end. I'm like, yeah, nah, they, they, <laughs> this was it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They know it's, they know it's uh, problematic. Their um, time has come. Yeah, uh, you know, like the 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 bit with Frederick Zola coming back, and you know, being this like gross, pushy dude the whole way through mm. is is horrid and sort of not not fun to experience but it is sort of framed against nazis so to some degree you're like (laughs) yeah to some degree you're like well Mm. i guess it's i I guess you're trying to you know project that back onto the mindset this superiority mindset even if he's mm. like he he considers himself like the good one you know like the yeah. respectful one and all that and he's just like complete incel mode <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah you know all in all she really gets it whereas like bridget sort of just gets flogged and that's more used as a reason for Hans to... I mean, it's not even like Hans showing off his detective skills because it's, you know... We already know that he's a fantastic detective. Yeah, and this hint is dropped directly in his lap. He doesn't, like, put the whole puzzle together. He finds a fucking napkin with her name on it. Um, And it is interesting because those first couple of scenes are so nail-biting, those slow... Tense scenes are so nail-biting. And it's a complete shift in the theatre where you know they, they're they already done, you know? Like- Yeah. And it is the shown that- The jig is that, already up. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's shown that Hans has put together, like, it's, he's thinking of- Yeah. He's thinking about the plan from- Exactly. The second, I think it's the, less about- It becomes when- the, when the jig is up and you know that Hans knows, it's mm. less about, oh, is Hans going to find out? And it becomes more about what is Hans going to do? <laughs> yeah. Because he yeah. is so not necessarily loose cannon, but he's so cutthroat in what he does. Yeah. That and he's, you, and he's hard you don't to know how far read. he's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, he's yeah. got an intense poker face. And- yeah. Because- mm. <laughs> People love bringing this one up and it is a bit film bro to bring it up, but it is also such like a fun shot where he's like, do you mind if I smoke as well? And he pulls out the fucking idiot Sherlock Holmes Sherlock pipe. Holmes pipe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, yeah, okay. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it was, it, it, it has been read that it's very much him like flaunting that he's already got the whole thing figured out, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, and he's basically like, I can, you know, I'm not this like ruthless, stupid, you know, just hunter. I am the fucking genius who can play every situation back into my own hands. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, you know, keeps coming up and comes up right at the end with the, them calling up Britain him to give him a part and everything. Deal. Yeah, yeah. Which is cool. I mean, it, there's, like, weird layers to that character. And the character mm. is really the sort of star of the show. 
He he won an Oscar for it. So yeah, yeah. I do like how in the beginning, like the first scene, he goes like he talks about how he likes his he relishes in his nickname, and then when he's talking to the Americans, he's like, "Oh, how dare they call me the Jew Hunter, or whatever?" Like he has like yeah. a complete flip on that, mm. Mm. and I'm wondering if it's just meant to be that. He's trying to sort of rewrite. He's like, okay, we are in new Hans mode. Yeah. I want to yeah, like yeah. I'm rewrite rewriting my, my character. narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Or if there is something else there, or if he was playing like a character the whole time within the framework of the film. And nah, I don't think so. I think he, he was, he was, he's. Hans Lander is the character who he's only playing the game as long as the odds are in his favour. So, and he's playing the game for whichever batting side has the odds in their favour and suits his Mm. best interests as well. Which, in the case of the Second World War, for a period of time, and in this narrative, it was in the Nazis' favour. So, he's just like, fuck it, I'm just going to do this for a bit because I know that I'm exceedingly good at this job and I'm going to be the best person at this job and command that space, that attention. Yeah. Mm. Do I, I, do you mind if I just run through some thoughts in my notebook? No, go your hardest. Cool. I had, um, I noticed a couple of times they would do like a medium shot, you know, like a torso shot and the camera would then like step through into a very strong close-up, and I thought that was a really cool effect every time they did it. I don't have a great example of how often it happens. I think it happens in the farm. I think it maybe happens in the scene where the bastards are all in that little sort of valley area. Oh, with yeah. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. With the general and the two other soldiers. All the leaves and stuff, and they're doing the, the big, uh, the bear dew bit. Yeah. Um, I love- I think it only happens a couple of times, but every time they have like a freeze frame and like a name card comes up and it like changes the music. It, they do it for Hugo Stiglitz, who I think is the bear chew. No, no, he's the German guy. Yeah. I forget what his, ca- his character's name is. Insubordinate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and like the whole like montage with him, like putting a pillow over the guy or like yeah. putting his whole hand in the dude's mouth. <laughs> like- it's in a way, like, in a way, I don't feel super great about how, you know, like, cruel and nasty some of the, even within the framework of, like, Nazis, like, They're it does make me feel a little whatever, icky. Yeah. But, and this is what I was talking about before, actually, pre-spoilers, about, you know, fan service, which is, A, them shooting Hitler- and I think it's Eli Roth's character or- It is Eli Roth's character, yeah, who just lays into him again and again. And he just keeps shooting it. And, yeah, like, yeah. It, it swaps to, like, this, like, silicon- Prosthetic, yeah. Which, which I think, like, they knew it looked a little- Goofy. Fake. Yeah. And he just, got like, that, the thing's just um, face is, like, exploding. It's got that The Thing energy to it, you know? Like, it's a prosthetic that looks just close enough, but it's still got enough where you're like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if, and if you fill it full of bullets, it starts looking a little bit off. <laughs> it looks a little bit goofy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, I also, you know, the, the very end of the film where 
there's this there's the aha moment you know where they're like oh okay they had a plan the whole time is is satisfying in like a very and the the i wonder that's also trying to say something about christoph waltz's character where he's like an excellent planner but he like missed such an obvious you know he made such an obvious mistake just based on um these like he has like an expectation of how these people are going to act like these people are going to act honorably because xyz and they're like complete like ruthless nightmare (laughs) they're inglorious bastards who don't play by the rules and that kind of trips him up in the end yeah oh i did I did think the running away flashback was. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a bit. I don't like, know if oh, you noticed this, and it, this is yeah. a pretty minor complaint. But when she like recognizes him, and it's like, yeah, we know. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I got yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that was based on like response yeah, from test cool. audiences or something. Yeah, that's. Um, I think more or less. Yeah, that's more or less like all my like little notes. Um, I I'll think. offer up a couple. My um. Uh, post some insightful discussion. Uh, I just, I really enjoyed how this time around, how heavily Western influenced the film is. Uh, mm. influenced by spaghetti westerns specifically. Um, yeah, fistful of dollars. I mean, that's sort of like ugly, everything like, that Tarantino has done to score. Uh, Not to everything, some but some degree. Uh, but yeah. this one in particular, the mostest, next to mm. Django Unchained. Django Unchained, Hateful Eight, even like Kill yeah. Bill is very. It's like it's a, still got like it's the a Western samurai tinge. western. Yeah, it's got yeah, a huge absolutely. western tinge. It's massive. Yeah. yeah, maybe less so for Reservoir Dogs, but I haven't actually seen it, and I don't yeah. know about I'm One Upon a Time in Hollywood either. Dogs. Yeah, well, you won't have to wait long, buddy. I really enjoy the prospect of. World War Two in this context being like a war of myths and legends, you know, like have you heard of the Jew Hunter? Have you heard of the Bear Jew? Like, you know, the yeah, that's cool. the kind of the stories being passed around in trenches and stuff like that that then spread, you know, out throughout the war. Um, and the the focus on like Goebbels being a propagandist as well is something you don't yeah. see. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I wasn't even really aware real. of that. I had no from... idea that was real until, yeah, fucking doing the podcast. I was like, oh, he, that's a real thing that he was. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the bit where Frederick Zoller talks about he prefers, uh, fuck, I forget who it is, one actor over Chaplin. But then he said that oh, yeah. uh, the kid was Chaplin's best. I was mm. like... We watched the kid. We know what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> what was that Chaplin's best? Uh, maybe. Cinema. I don't think it was. I don't think it was Chaplin's best. But I'm personally more a Buster Keaton person. Absolutely, me too. Um, a glass of milk. The the glass of milk that he gets for Shoshana when they meet the second time is ah uh, so <laughs> just the most nefarious, devious fucking nod. Um. Mm. That does he know at that point? It's Nah, absolutely he does. Absolutely. Why would he order mm. a fucking glass of milk if he didn't know? Yeah, but he like didn't see her face when she ran away. Yeah, but he's He just saw her back. It's Hans. He's the greatest mm. detective of all, of all time, next to Batman. 
Um, if, if it's not the case, it's also a very Batman's fun coincidence. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the bar scene, the scene with, you know, Michael Fassbender, Diane Kruger, Till Schweiger, that's my guy. He's also in Atomic Blonde. Just that whole scene is so... It's so forever ingrained in my brain as mm-hmm. just one of the fucking funnest scenes of all time. Like, it's just so yeah. captivating, so perfectly written, so perfectly shot, perfectly edited, perfectly delivered by everyone that's in it as well. Because it's just such a complete little story. Yeah, nah, just the best. Tops. Such a fantastic mm. chapter. The the bit where the general is trying to guess King Kong and his first guess oh, is yeah. a Negro in America. And then he goes to, oh, well, that means it must be King Kong. Oh, oh, you can, baby! You can sort of, you can sort of see it coming from a mile yeah, away, like absolutely. the questions he keeps yeah, yeah. asking. But the fact that he like he just says it and then goes, "Oh well, I must be King Kong then," and he's all like, me, 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 like puts the card down, I'm like, so despicable. <laughs> but the film knows it, and I don't think I get yeah. that until now. <laughs> well, it's almost like him showing his disdain for like america as a concept yeah yeah despite like the germans like not being much better yeah absolutely or the nazis rather mm. sorry not better at all they killed a lot of uh black people mm. Mm. but they do. um that's his the- that's his sort of like mind mindset you know his, his headspace yeah the three Reaction from August Deal, who plays uh, the Major, Major Dieter Hellstrom, um, really got me this time around. Uh, mm. Just the the nuance of realisation as an actor, you know? Like, you can't vocalise realisation in this particular context, in this scenario, but you have to act realisation in a subtle enough way that an audience go, oh, fuck, something's wrong. But you don't necessarily know why something's wrong until mm. it's later on elaborated by Diane Kruger's character. Just so good. It's so perfectly subtle. And when the waiter comes over with the drinks and he's like, you know, like, is this the one? And he's like, he kind of, he's a bit out of it for a second. And then he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, like, ah, it's just so, from an acting perspective, tip fucking top. Good on you, August. So good. Mm. Um, and my final note, uh, BJ Novak plays that character specifically for the little man reveal. So he can have that, uh, fucking, they call me little man. Like, it was like the fucking office. It was literally, I was like, it was pretty, he basically plays his character in the office. I wonder if he, I wonder if he was a producer or something. Cause that was the case. Or like a. It's the case with the office, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the re- yeah with with He's the office the re- the characters in the office that were all in like the side room were all writers or producers or something, yeah. um, and yeah. that's why they're in the side room so that they didn't have to be, be visually shown. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I guess he didn't really. He just did his. He has been trying to rotate himself. To as like an actor, um, uh, after the office, which ended ten years ago, so yeah, he's had plenty sure. of time. But he's probably also 
fucking loaded and doesn't give that much of a shit. He's just- probably. And you know what? I probably would too if I were BJ Novak. So, mm. um, oh, sorry. One last note that I was very proud of for realizing, um, the bit where the cinema is burning down and there's the smoke and there's the projection on the smoke of Shoshana yes. laughing and the smoke billowing away. Could be, not necessarily saying it is, but it could be a reference to Fritz Lang's Metropolis, where uh, the the girl is burning at the stake and laughing. Um, there's the smoke going up around her and all that. It's great. It's bloody stellar. <laughs> you don't remember it, do you? Of course I remember it. How can I forget that? Oh, okay. Okay, cool. You just, the, the <laughs> I just got a message. That was, <laughs> oh, okay. Right. Cool. Um, well, since you're so attentive to me right since now- Since you're so in the zone. Yeah, since you're being such a great podcast co-host, why don't I tell you some trivia that you can react to in a more non-committal way? Mm. Sounds good. <laughs> I thought you were just going to go- I'm not getting, mm. like, active, constant messages. I just got a message at the exact time that you were <laughs> saying that, and it distracted me for half a second. Uh, really pulled your attention. You are the worst- uh, Roughly only 30% of the film is spoken in English. The language which dominates the film is either French or German with little Italian. Uh, yeah. A little Italian is really overselling it. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in a roundtable discussion with Brad Pitt and Quentin Tarantino, Tarantino said that Till Schweiger had previously refused to put on a Nazi uniform for a film role, largely due to being born and raised in Germany and his very real hatred of anything Nazi-related. When Schweiger was told he'd brutally kill a Nazi in every scene he wore the uniform, he happily agreed to play the part of Hugo <laughs> Stieglitz. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, catharsis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He only went. Uh, he only wears it like once, doesn't he? Like, um. Nah, there's there's the scene where like it's the the cutaway, the almost Family Guy cutaway. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. But he's not wearing Mark's the uniform. Or oh, maybe he is. He might be, actually. How they wear the ambush, ambush fucking German soldiers. And they're like, get out of the road! And then they just... <laughs> <laughs> so fucking funny. It is um, good. The only movie Brad Pitt made as a leading actor for the Weinstein Company or its previous iteration, Miramax. He has said it had everything to do with wanting to work with Quentin Tarantino and nothing to do with Harvey Weinstein. His animosity for Weinstein stems from an incident in the 90s where Pitt physically threatened the producer upon learning of Weinstein's unwanted sexual harassment of his then-girlfriend, Gwyneth Paltrow. Weinstein and Gwyneth Paltrow? Well, like, whatever. That's good, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Good to, good to hear that someone knew it was fucked before. It was oh, I think everyone knew. You know wasn't, I mean? the, wasn't that the case? Like, everyone fucking knew. Yeah. Yeah. But they were like they were but like the biggest of quiet. the big. Yeah. It was yeah, yeah. I mean a lot of people did keep quiet. It was also like the case of like what are you gonna be able to do? But it's absolutely the case, yeah. At the end of each take, actors would face the camera and say hello Sally, referring to Sally Mick, the film's editor. This practice has occurred since Quentin Tarantino's previous movies, such as Kill Bill, Volume One and Two, and Death Proof. Inglorious Bastards was the last film by Tarantino to be edited by Mick whose work was honoured in 2010 with her final Academy Award nomination for Best Editing prior to her death later that year. She fucking killed it. This film is edited yeah. very effectively. Like, what I was saying about them being able to sit on 
a scene of just two people talking for 20 minutes and it not be visually boring. Like, so much of that has got to be down to editing. And also set creators and um, prop departments and costume departments and lighting teams and camera crew. Like, that is a huge, huge thing. But editing is a huge fucking block of that. Yeah, yeah. For his performance in the film, Christoph Waltz became one of seven performers to win an Oscar playing a character that mostly spoke in a foreign language. The others are Sophia Loren, Robert De Niro, Roberto Benigni, uh, who I think we're about to have soon, uh, Benicio Del Toro, Marion Cotillard, and Yoon Ya Jun. Huh. Yeah, would have expected more, but also not surprised. <laughs> not surprised by the fucking Academy. One of the Jewish names carved on the Bear Jew's bat is Anne Frank. <laughs> It's very dark. <laughs> did he kill her? Or yeah, did... I know. Like, I don't know what that implies, you know? Was Anne Frank a Nazi? Uh, oh, no. Sorry. She was Jewish. <laughs> yeah. I was like, isn't that the whole bit that, like, she's... Anyway. I, um, I'll tell you what. I know fucking nothing about Anne Frank. Yeah, I know yeah. zero about her. That, I'm right there with you. I'm in that pocket. BJ Novak had to take leave from appearing on The Office in order to play Private First Class uh, Utovic. His absence on the show was explained by his character going to, quote, Thailand with friends from high school. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? What do you reckon that she, that he wrote her name for her, not because he killed her? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah. I like that better. I like Maybe. that better. Yep. Maybe. It's like a doing this for Anne Frank. Yeah, I like that. Mm. Uh, when asked about the misspelled title, writer and director Quentin Tarantino gave the following answer. Quote, here's the thing. I'm never going to explain that. You, you, I hate this. You do an artistic flourish like that and to explain it would just take the piss out of it and invalidate the whole stroke in the first place. End quote. Which sounds a lot to me like I, I'm, I'm doing the thing and I'm not going, I, I'm an artist, so fuck you. <laughs> Which I realise I I I sound like sometimes, but hey. I don't hate it, hate it, hate it, but yeah. It's fun. It sets the film apart, you know. Makes it easier Mm. to search. It's nice for, um, fuck, what's the the, uh, search search engine? What? What's it called? Optimization. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you really left me hanging there. I don't know what the Uh, fuck you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you do. Uh, Quentin Tarantino was considering abandoning the film while the casting searched for someone to play Colonel Hans Lander, fearing he'd written a role that was unplayable. After Christopher Waltz's audition, however, both Tarantino and producer Lawrence Bender agreed they had found the perfect actor for the film. Yeah, he, he, you know, it is sort of his movie. Oh my god. Um, finally, in the scene where Bridget von Hammersmark was choked to death after being discovered as a spy, Diane Kruger was almost accidentally really choked. Quentin Tarantino is unimpressed with choking scenes in other movies and that actors are rarely in any considerable danger while shooting them, and convinced Kruger to be strangled for real in order to get the scene just right. Fearing that Christopher Waltz would choke her too much or too little, Tarantino decided to literally take matters into his own hands and did the scene himself. In an interview, in an interview Tarantino said, in an interview, no. In an interview, Tarantino said, quote, what I said to her was, I'm going to just strangle you, all right? Full on. I'm going to cut off your air for just a little bit of time. We're going to see the reaction in your face, and I'm going to yell cut, end quote. Kruger decided this was reasonable and let Tarantino sit on top of her and choke her to the point of unconsciousness. Fortunately for Kruger, the shot was accomplished in one take. Yeah, you'd hope. 
I will say it was very convincing. <laughs> but Jesus Christ, that is complete cowboy shit. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's cowboy shooting movie for real. Fucking hell. Man. But yeah, there you go. Thank you, Douglas. <laughs> well, um, so you didn't say like, and that's all I got. You just said, oh, well. No, I did. I said, and finally, and then did that. Oh, well, I wasn't listening. Oh. If you enjoyed <laughs> this episode of the 250, we put out new episodes every week. Tuesday midnight, Australian is the standard time, which comes out to Monday afternoons, Europe and Monday mornings in America. Yeah. Douglas, where can people go <laughs> if they want more info on the podcast? If you would like more information about the podcast, you can go to www.250.com. There's a full list of IMDb's top 250 films of all time on the homepage there from January of 2020. There are three links at the top of the website there. There is a link to our Instagram, which is at 250pod, and you can reach out to us on Instagram if you uh, so desire. Get in touch with us. Don't know why you would. Uh, at 250pod. Uh, there's also a link to our <laughs> email, which is mail at 250.com if you'd like a more professional avenue of communication. And there's a link to listen to us on Spotify uh, there on the website. And you can listen to us wherever you find your podcasts as well. Huh. Uh, Douglas and I both use Letterboxd, which is a movie tracking and reviewing website that we're great big fans of. My account on Letterboxd is Upa, that is U-U-U-P-A-H, and Douglas. My account is Ienzo Knight, I-E-N-Z-O-K-N-I-G-H-T, Ienzo Knight. You look up Upa, Ienzo Knight, or 250 in the Letterboxd search engine, and you'll find us. We do written reviews of all the films that we talk about here on the 250, as well as anything else that we watched in our spare time. In my spare time, I managed to catch, on Netflix... David Finch's latest film, The Killer, starring Michael Fassbender. Um, Other people. Was that just completely like. Was that intentional or no? What? The the double Fassbender. Oh, that it was double. Yeah, no, no, no. Completely unintentional. I was just like, oh, Michael Fassbender. And then I went, oh, Michael Fassbender. (laughs) Um, Hmm. It's. Other people on Letterboxd have said it far more succinctly and in greater detail and in better detail than I have. Um, but Fincher is just such a craftsman. Like, he's, he just gets in it, you know? Like, even something as genre trashy as this, Fincher so- somehow still makes it fun and makes it commentary on himself, which is also very something that I wasn't expecting. Um, yeah, it was just a lot of fun. And... Having Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross make another soundtrack, I'm always here for, honestly, ever since fucking... can't speak anymore. Ever since uh, the Social Network's soundtrack, I'm always here for a little bit of R&R, Reznor and Ross. Yeah, everyone else has said it better. Maybe just doing a movie podcast for three years has turned my brain to a pulpy... Yeah, you'd think that we'd be better at media criticism, but we're really bad at it. I just go... That was pretty. Hmm. That's all we got. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. Oh, yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> we got some. I don't. I. Oh yeah, I didn't have any shit. I was watching. I watched about half of the raid, and I watched about half of Dune. Um, because Douglas, I have acquired a projector. 
for watching movies in my apartment. But and I, I needed some films to test it out on. The Raid's funny. I We should still do an episode on it, but I did not realize how easy it is to pick some of the more amateur elements of that film. Like, it's a, like, low budget. And and I did not realize the first time around, although that was a long time ago. But What film are we talking Sorry? The Raid Redemption. The Raid, the one in the- they go in the building. Is this the- The Indonesian film. Yeah. Martial arts film. Okay. Yep. <laughs> is this this- the Raid- We, we it, were- Douglas, we were talking about it last called, week. Is the first film called The Raid Redemption? Technically, yes. But oh people just call it The Raid. Okay. There you go. Right. Sorry. I- I was confused as to whether you were talking about the first The Raid or the second The Raid, which is literally just called The Raid 2. Um, yes. Yeah. I don't know what he's redeeming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the Raid Lee, Redemption. I guess. Yeah. Um, himself. Um, yeah. It, it's a cool story concept. It's not that crazy, but it's also not like it has a bit more spice than it sort of initially seems. And like the martial arts scenes are just super inventive, super, super cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a lot as well. Like the it's film brutal. is like very gory and yeah. gross. Yeah, um, does but, not hold back, but no, you can't but, help but be in awe of the the technique that's on display. You know, like the mm. tip top. Yeah, mm. yeah. All right, I guess we leave now. <laughs> I'm just oh. my brain has just emptied. No, don't worry about it. Um, bye bye. Uh, next week, more Tarantino. <laughs> Welcome back to the Tarantino. Uh, thank I you, mean, thank you for listening. We will see you next week for. Reservoir Dogs, unless something goes horribly wrong. And uh, hopefully Douglas will remember to edit this one. <laughs> hey, it's not about remembering. All right? I'm, I'm going to beat this shit. Don't slander my name. <laughs> uh, Douglas is a very busy boy. We love him very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. Right? Go in. I want you to go in. The, I want you to go on the Instagram post for this and say, we love you, Douglas, very much. Don't say that. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>